Hello, Punk Theology listeners, doing something a little different today. This is episode 23, the second installment of Russ Shaw's interview by Reverend Wendy. You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. This would be season three. And now we come to the thrilling final episode of our radio drama. Go to punktheology.net to poke at the goo, pus, and connective tissue here. Now on with Russ Shaw's interview by Wendy Wolf of Everyday Modern Mystics. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> More about Wendy's work at modernmystic.us and light overcomes darkness. Thank you. I've, I've been, you know, I've been meaning to. We, uh, you honored me with a chat on on your show years ago at this point, um, and um, I intended to right away, you know, interview you, but you did not like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just wanted to say it's interesting as as a mystic. I hear you talking about relationships with these different things. And I, as a, we could say a mystic healer, I see the, their spiritual aspects of spiritual entities relate, dancing with this whole thing. We think it's just the chemical or whatever. And then we think it's just our pain and stuff. And we think it's just, but there's a whole nother layer of spiritual stuff that's going on. And I know it's not cool to talk about it because this idea has been abused by strange churches right. um, in strange ways, but there is a spiritual... The California mystics? <laughs> <laughs> well, more like the snake handlers and stuff. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> So, but there is um, a spiritual aspect to all of this that when we address it, things shift. Yeah, yeah. When you call it out in the light, I love that language of, of pulling it out in the light, you know? Addiction, you know anxiety, even depression, all these things function really well in the darkness. A friend of mine said they're like mold, you know, they thrive in the darkness. Yes. You yes. bring a ray of light in, you talk to somebody, you make that yes. appointment with that therapist, you pick up that heavy, heavy phone, you know, and you call yes. somebody and for help. And yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah. True. Yeah. And I'm in a position in my work, I'm so blessed because people share with me like stuff that they don't share right like and it's so fascinating it's like i find myself all the time being like i get that that's intense for you but it's just garden variety for me like i hear like you wouldn't like all that it just it helps people recontextualize it's like oh this is the worst thing it's just like yeah i've heard that three times this week you know it's like it's like we're humans and we don't know it yeah all the stuff that is in the dark and yeah. if we let it be in the light, then it can stop controlling us. I love that, Wendy. That's a good Wendy quote. I feel like I need to write that down. <laughs> We're all humans, and we don't know it. That is so true. There's a lot of truth in that. This gets to the most <laughs> little piece of wisdom. I love that. We just separate ourselves from our humanity. Every time we judge someone. Again, like my friend Peter Rollins, every time we deny the resurrection. It's a good one. We don't see our our humanity in the symptoms of everything we're in it yeah. yeah so do you have did you do you have did you come thinking you wanted to share anything in particular that you haven't said or 
just I, I'm excited to talk about mysticism, <laughs> to be honest. Like, this is the first time I've been invited on, on, on a mystic show, you know, because I, again, going back to my friend Seth Taylor, I've always, you know, he's the one that had language for it. And I've always considered myself a, a kind of spiritual mystic. Um, did God save me in the ambulance after I drank a half gallon? Well, there's a lot of people say I shouldn't be here. Um, how am I different than George Floyd? So I, I, I guess I, I visit that mysticism. Like God was always, I didn't go anywhere. Right? Like that was really hard for me. The shack, right? The shack brought me to tears. Yeah. You know, wherever you go, you know, is this idea that, you know, guys like Paul and probably you and myself, this idea of, Oh, well, you're saying that there's all these different paths to God. Are you saying that any path will do? Just choose one. Um, and Jesus is like, whatever path you go down, I'm right behind you. I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I never left you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Some of that language still gets me. It still gets me. Right? Like I am connected to the universe, to God, to um the peace of God that's in me and, and syncing up with that is, is something that I find really encouraging where I think the religious tradition that I grew up in was it's out there and you need to get saved. And then, and then you can pull it in here. Once you're saved, you know, you've clicked the thing or you've joined the club and your book has written your name, you know, they use that language from the Bible. You're written in the land's book of life, but yeah. Pastor so and yeah. yeah, Pastor so and so. If you don't fit in the cookie cutter, you know, you cut your arms off, you won't be able to. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you don't let us cut your arms off, you can't stay. Yeah, yeah. So it's getting away. Yeah. It's, it's being able to having the not just the courage, if that's a word that we can bring to this conversation, but yeah, the, the, the self identity in going, in calling bullshit. You know, having enough care for yourself and having enough um, understanding of your own story and your own path and your own, you know, not not falling off the cliff of cynicism, getting back up here, looking other people in the face and in the eye, learning their stories and, and being connected with the rest of, of humanity and each other and, and the world. Um, yeah, I find I find that stuff really interesting because part of this is also my wounding too, Wendy. By the way, the using the word mystic uh, early on, I, I really I think I, I went back to like Mars Hill and I got identified as a Christian as, and I was never a Calvinist, right? But I thought, hey, these guys have tattoos, right? And the marks up there were in a punk rock shirt, like that's They're cool. Yeah, it's like, cool. Like, I like this church. Like I could I could be here. These are my people. You know? Right. Um, but. Also going, ah, you know, the whole Calvinism thing and predestination. And... It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so when I was a drug dealer, another little story for you, speaking of mystics, um, I met a guy who's a friend of my mom, ironically, but, it, but we saw each other at parties. And we lived not, not too far from each other. We lived like right down the street from each other. And one day he comes to me. And he goes, hey, Russ, I got, a, I got a job for you. I need you to, to do this for me while I'm in jail. He goes, I'm going to jail for about four months. 
and I wanted you to meet some people and kind of keep this thing going for me. And I'm like, okay. So, so he takes me to uh, this woman in Marysville and she looked a lot like yourself, which is some of this stuff is stranger than fiction. <laughs> like yeah. what actually happened in my life was stranger than fiction. And she looked like Wendy, like my friend Wendy. And she, she goes, Oh, this is Russ. And this is the guy you're talking about. And yeah. Yeah. And she's saying really nice, you know, a cup of coffee. She plops down a, a manila envelope full of cash and says, okay, here it is. Now go get me my stock. And so we get in his car and we go to uh, the cookbook restaurant, which used to be a thing here. And we sit there and we wait for a guy and he comes in and he has a bag and, you know, we order coffee and, and stuff. We're kind of in the back. It's a pretty big restaurant. And he hands, um, we'll call him TJ. He slides the bag, TJ. TJ and TJ's like, cool. Slides the manila envelope over. And uh, well, we get in the car and I go, Whoa, what's in the bag? <laughs> like I'm totally naive to what's going on. Like I've been around oh. drugs, you know, I've done coke and all that stuff. But it was cocaine. And it was a lot of cocaine. And it was a lot of money. You know, we didn't open the envelope. You don't open the envelope. So uh so I start doing this every week and then uh, you know, eventually I meet the people and I get involved in this world. And somewhere uh, along these relationships, I meet this guy in Granite Falls. And I was blindfolded before I met this man. So I'm like, again, I'm like 17, I was 17. I drove, right? So I was an asset. Um, they blindfold me, they drive me up in the hills and I meet this guy who, I shit you not, he's sitting on a pillow and he's wearing like a robe, like one of these Buddhist monk fucking guys and his head was shaved, you know? And he's like, you know, He's sitting there, like, I'm introduced to this man, and he's overlooking. So we go way up in the hills in the mountains, Granite Falls area. Granite Falls, by the way, in the 80s was called the meth capital of the United States. So, wow. So that's, yeah, that's part of what was going on. So anyway, he's look, He's overlooking, he's on this, like, uh, there's windows in front of him, and he's overlooking just trees and this valley, and there's a river down below. And it's just beautiful. And he's sitting on a pillow, lotus position, you know, like this. So this is my introduction to <laughs> mysticism. And this man basically used me as a, as a drug dealer a couple of times. So I didn't do it a lot. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of the same deal. Like, here's a bunch of cash. I want you to go uh, get some dope for me. Or here's some dope. I want you to sell it to this guy. So oh, I sit on uh, a pillow. And he, yeah, and he used a lot of that language too, Wendy. Like he, had a, he was a fucking philosopher and he really pulled me into his way of thinking it wasn't just it wasn't just a business thing for this guy like he really thought that he was doing the world a favor you know like people need to escape you and i helped that happen you know you Mm. and i did that if you ever get in any trouble i said i'm not carrying a gun that's one thing i did so i'm not carrying a fucking gun dude i don't know what you want me to do and he's like uh he goes that's okay you don't have to carry you just tell him you just tell him who you are so I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know? So um, I end up, I end up, you know, working for this man. It was only, I just, I cut ties with him. He's also someone, speaking of entities. Now I heard, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard from a friend that he, he was actually killed by the police in a, uh, 
a standoff with like the FBI or something like that in the wow. early 90s. This man. Um, but he's an entity in my mind that sits back in the back seat. I did an EMDR session and we went through this whole, you know, this whole picture of me driving back because I did that. So what I would do is I go to Granite Falls, I get dope and or cash and I drive it into Seattle. And I did, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, and, and it was always the threat of him sitting behind me and I have to do this. I, yeah, I'm making money. I'm making three, four, five hundred dollars every time I did this. So I wasn't complaining about the work, but uh, there was always that threat and sitting behind me. Like they're going to, again, it's that the voice of my abuser, they're going to find out. Yes. Yeah. It's the same picture. Yeah, it's the same picture. The first yeah. deal I did with drugs where I actually had drugs on me, a lot of drugs. Um, not a lot, not like a suitcase or something like you see in the movies. You see people in the movies like a brick, you know, of cocaine. It was nothing. It was nothing like that. It was like, I don't know, maybe like that cylinder kind of thing full of meth. And I brought it to this party on, on uh, Queen Anne in the Queen Anne neighborhood. <laughs> and his house was pretty much abandoned. Um, and I don't know if they were squatters that were hanging out in there. This guy I was supposed to meet wasn't there. I figured I'll bring him the stuff. He'll hand me a little cash. So I, uh, I'm there at the party and he's not there. And a, a half hour goes by, he's not there. And some guy walks in with a boombox and he sets it down. This was 1988. And you know how I know that? Because he sets the boombox down and he goes, he goes, I just got this tape today. This is awesome. Um, and he opens up this cassette tape, right? He's like opening a pack of smokes. <laughs> and he puts in Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction. And the first song is, you know where you are? <laughs> You're in the jungle, baby you're going to die, right? And I'm in this fucking situation, like shitting myself. I'm constantly ha offered beers. I'm handed beers, right? Brown bottles of beer. I drank like three of them. And then, and then I started going into the bathroom and filling up the brown bottle with water. <laughs> so oh, I was drinking something so these guys wouldn't keep fucking keeping me. Oh, that was smart. I started. I'm, I'm so, that's another thing about abuse too, and you probably see this in some of your work is, you learn how to survive. Right? Oh yeah. You get survival mechanisms going on in you. And I don't know if it's supernatural or what was going on, but I caught on as a 17 year old kid, like this cat wants me drunk. Right? Yeah. Keeps, oh, your beer's gone. Here's another one, buddy. Drink down. Yes. Um, no, I just kept filling it with water. <laughs> it's awesome. So it's about, you know, an hour and a half goes by and, and I, uh, you know, we got shows up and everything went down i'm all these things go through my mind I worry robbed this is where i die right right <laughs> oh what the hell is gonna happen and the it's police crazy. are gonna come in or something all this just, you know, my anxiety was just, you know yeah um and sure enough you know i meet this guy he's all tatted up some dude you know he's just hey hey Russ, how's it going just all these people were really nice too that was another thing where it's not so much like the movies where everybody's like really tough. Rawr, rawr. No, these guys were right. just curious, you know, it was just, yeah, it was just a party. Here you go. Right. Here's an envelope full of cash. Have fun. See you later. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, my, my introduction to, it was that guy. And I had to like, 
so I, it was no wonder I had this sort of shitty attitude towards mystics or that kind of thing or anybody who did meditation, which has right. been really helpful for me now, right? Right. I had to learn how to love gay people and meditate. <laughs> no, it's always, isn't it amazing? Like, yeah. if, we, if we allow it, we just turn and turn until we come around right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I do... I do want to ask though, if, if it's okay, if it's a good time. Sure. I want to get back to Mars Hill and you okay. talked about, um, is something like spiritual dominion, something like that? Spiritual authority, spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual what, authority. I think that some of that, even, um, in my work in EMDR, visiting that scene with the, the guy who used me as a drug mule, there was a certain uh, security I had in, in trusting that cat, right? Like he was a, I don't know if a spiritual authority, he was an authority in my life, of course, because yeah. um, he gave me money. <laughs> right. <laughs> I liked money and I liked girls and I liked, you know, partying okay. at the, you know, uh, hotel top floors and things. Right. Um, but there was, like, I felt protected. I think that it all goes back to like, some of my stuff with my parents, you know, visiting some of that. Um, Mars Hill, there was a few guys at Mars Hill that were really helpful. James Noriega. Now he, he was a hard dude, but he was one of those no bullshit friends, but he injured a lot of people at Mars Hill. Like there was a lot of people that had grievances towards this man just because he was very strong and very rough. Um, but that was helpful for me at the time. Um, you kind of needed to be cuffed in the ear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, he, he was another guy that was very much like me. I think that's what I respected about him. Like he gets, he gets saved, right, out of this church. And then he's telling his story. And some woman, as he's doing his testimony, that's what he's doing his testimony, some woman in the audience goes, oh, are you the James Noriega that was, uh, did this and that? Or because of, you know, you have a warrant? So it starts, the police show up. <laughs> No right way. Just, yeah, and they arrest him. <gasps> oh, <laughs> no. After he gets saved, right? Which is, which is kind of funny. But that is part of his story. Yeah. So, but he was a big, he was a big guy that doc, talked about um, recovery at Mars Hill. And the, what, that's the one thing that he said to me that was really helpful was, he's like, Russ, you talk about, you know, sexual abuse and addiction. He says, but what about your parents? What about or, your parents? Where was dad? Yeah. Right. Where was mom when, when you didn't feel safe, when you needed this fucking guy to, you know, that's part of why I don't, the picture of me in the back, right, with the little kid me, part of the reason I hated him is because he went back. I would wait for this guy to get home from school to be sexually abused by this man. He was an 18-year-old kid himself. Um, and so James was like, where, where, where was dad, right? Like a, a healthy environment that you grow up in doesn't. There's a reason these people prey on on folks like myself. There's a reason, there's a reason why these things happen. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that was a big part of it. Is peeling back those layers of. of it's interesting you use the word spiritual dominion, um, because I think that guys like Mark want to be the father you know he even used that language he was like i want to be seattle's spiritual father now he's seattle's spiritual deadbeat dad 
<laughs> because he left. Right? Uh, it's, it's like, I have to be God. And if I can't be God here, then, then I'll leave. Instead of facing the people that he hurt, right? That's in, in recovery circles, we call that making amends. Right. Stay in the room with the person and tell them that you're sorry. And you, honestly, you do your best at that. I know that some situations aren't always going to work out, but Mark never did that. So does that answer your question? Is that what you're... So um, I just wanted to know what you meant by spiritual authority, like that they were exercising this idea that people had spiritual authority over others or finding the own sovereignty of God within us. I mean, it's a, it's a big term. Yeah, I think that at Mars Hill, and I wasn't in the leadership that much. Um, my friend Leo and I did some recovery groups that were sort of off the books, which was interesting. Like they, they wanted everything to be redemption groups. And if it wasn't redemption groups, then it wasn't approved for, quote, you know, kind of recovery stuff. What does that mean, redemption groups? Redemption groups, uh, Mike Wilkerson wrote a book called Fuel, uh, Redemption. Uh, what do you say? You call that? But <laughs> he was a... He, he, and it's a good book. Like it's, it's, it, I like the narrative he uses in the book. I don't necessarily agree with how the people were managed in that, looking back. Um, but it was the Exodus story, right? Like we're all kind of in the desert. And right. so it had good language to it. Mark, Mark never did it. <laughs> like Mark, and he, might, he, he may have put his stamp of approval on it. This is Mars Hill certified good stuff, but he right. would he do anything like that. Um, right. Wilkerson was one of the first, all the pastoral people quit, all the counseling pastoral people were the first ones to go when Mars Hill started to fall. Mm. Uh, so, so that was a big part of it. What was the question? I got it. So it's like, it's more about the external authority and structure structures not yeah. finding out that we're um we're authorities in god here in ourselves yeah, well at, at mars hill yeah i think that they wanted to you know it was almost like the military right like you needed to click off certain white or <laughs> it wasn't even about it was mostly white people. There was a lot of white yeah, people. Well, the, the, the stereotypical Christian American was, you know, heterosexual. You had to be white. You know, you had to be. <laughs> there was black people there too. There's very few black people. There, there was a few black people. Yeah. There was. No, I don't remember any. Yeah. So that well, North Seattle is. Were they only in North Seattle? Because North Seattle is very, very white. Yeah. They they did have a campus um, towards Rainier Valley, which mm. had more black folks in there but that was towards the end and then they started to see the cracks and yeah that was right before the whole thing blew up. Uh, okay but i i just get trying to control it's, it's sort of like the catholic church right like they tried to keep a lid on all the sexual abuse oh, and God. because of the authorities you know you trust me on your spiritual authority and, and sadly they're still doing it. i'm an advocate for yeah. that as well i mean it's yeah. crazy. Catholic church is not, not doing a good job of yeah, it's been decades now. Yeah. yeah. Be transparent. Yeah, it's Come on. enough already. Yeah. Yeah. So, I have a hard time with Catholics. I'm still having a hard time. Just why, you know? I'm not trying to be offensive. That's one of those barrier boundary points. I'm not sure why anyone want to be a card-carrying Catholic today. I, I get it. People grow up in it, and that's who you are as a person. But, but just look at the damage of that. 
it's hard to love people that are like stay in the Catholic Church. Like I'm doing the best I can with you. There's been quite an exodus. There has um, been, and a lot of people have checked out but stayed nominally Catholic. Yeah. Uh, just because of the programming, and they don't really care um, about spiritual stuff anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, good parking place, right? Like it's a good check. It's like roulette. <laughs> you know, good place to put your chips. There are really good people doing good work in the, in yeah. the Catholic Church. You know, there's Richard Moore who's like rocking. Yeah. Rock, he's rocking Christian culture. Yeah. Like that's amazing. And he's getting away with it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't taken his priestness yet. I'm surprised. It's wild the stuff he says. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you can say that? You're you know, you're a priest. Yeah. Um so that's what Paul Young and I had a conversation about that too, because he did a speaking gig, uh a, like a tour or something with Richard Rohr and and I'm like, but he's Catholic, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, Russ, but he's he's really shaking things up. And the fact that he's in that yes. while he's there. And see, just me having this conversation with you, maybe this is some of my damage as well, because my friend Leo and I, um, we did the recovery group kind of thing or whatever. It was, it was a, called the community group, quote, community group. Um, but he and I were told as Mars Hill started to collapse that like, should we leave? Like, we should probably, I don't know. If I can, I'm not going to sit through another sermon. That's for sure. Like, why are we, why are we still here? And a lot of people encouraged us, Leo and I, that Mars Hill needs you guys. They need people like you. Well, they're not listening to people like us. <laughs> right? But the fact that we were present, I guess it's being present in it. And I think that's what Richard Rohr is doing with the Catholic culture. That is beautiful is he's still present in that culture and they allow him to be until they cut him off. That was something I was taught, told, you know, by some of the leadership at Mars Hill. I was like, has anybody like told you to shut up? <laughs> right? Has anybody told you Russ not to say that on your podcast? Or I'm like, no. No, they haven't. He goes, then keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, then keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so, there's a lot of other I just have to say with the Catholic Church, you know, I find them like I'm being the moderate here. But it's like because I came from Catholicism, I get it. Um, there are beautiful aspects. And I mean there's so many people doing great work there, like John Michael Talbot. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot of those people. Um and it's just I don't know, this this pimple has got a pop about the sexual abuse though. It just has to end. Um, but the beautiful part, the horrible, horrific, beautiful part of it is that it's a mirror for the rest of society mm -hmm. because it's not just happening in the church. And I mean, I know from my work, like so many men are dealing with this. It's not a small number at yeah. all. Um, so it's like, it's almost like they're carrying this mirror for the whole society. Um, yeah. Doesn't make it right, but. Uh, it might in the end be helpful. I have surveys on my website. It's called, it's like my little confessional. Right? Like, come on into the confessional and tell me your secrets. Um, yeah. But it's, it, the, the questions are geared towards like, part of my heart for that ministry with Wendy is I never had a me. I never had someone saying the things I say in Christian culture yes. or anywhere else for that matter. Yeah. Um, but one of the questions I ask mostly men, Although I had a woman fill out a survey today, 
Um, but it's mostly men who fill out the surveys. And one of the questions I asked, I just outright asked, were you ever inappropriately sexually um, touched as a child? Were you, were, did you experience abuse? So I, you know, I just straight out asked that. But then I have a drop down. So it's yes, no, or some stuff happened and I'm not sure. Guess what most people pick? I'm not sure. Yeah, some stuff happened. Sure. That was me. For most of my life, I was I was fucking raped, Wendy, and I don't. I was like, you know, eh, it's just kids screwing around, I guess. Yeah, that's just my sexual experience. Sorry, you know. Yeah. No, like I, that was wrong. When I had somebody, it was a Mars Hill group, you know. For all the shitty things Mars Hill was, there were some good people there. And when I started getting into my sexual abuse, I started talking about it, and Mars Hill. Grace groups there at the time, and it was somebody in one of those groups that just like started crying, and like that was really shitty. What happened to you? Oh, that's and, so helpful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and, right. and I, I've seen that too in, in 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 this work that you and I do. We, we see that in people. They just they carry such heavy, horrible shit, and then yeah. when they when they divulge it, when it comes out in the light, they're like, eh, right. it's been right. here. So what are I swimming? I've been around my whole life. And you're, yeah. you're weeping for me? Like, that's so beautiful. It's yes. hard. Hard, but it's beautiful. It's really helpful in the healing process, I think, yeah. to have that validated on a yeah. human level. Yeah. How someone go into your pain and you you have to let them in too. Um, that's something Paul talks about too, and and I've used some of that language to be less of a hard ass. <laughs> is when somebody people shared their stories of me, and I'm like, that's one of the first things I say is thank you for opening yourself up and sharing that piece of your soul with me, mm-hmm. because um I, I i see that as like gold like you're that's value you're you're, you're letting me into the vault that holds yeah. the golden chalice of your soul yeah. and i and i'm so honored by that you know yes when people because people started sending emails and you know, i started doing this show Wendy. i didn't know people would listen to it yeah. <laughs> it was all these people are like oh my gosh i'm like wow yeah oh. So thank you for honoring me with your story and your life yeah. and just open kimono and uh, being so beautifully you. Yeah, really thank you. Them. You too. And thanks for doing the work you do. And it gives me hope, the work you do, and and for being a mystic and, and using that language that isn't too woo-woo. There's <laughs> the woo-woo part of it. Like, I hope we don't get into too much woo-woo because I'm having a hard time with the woo-woo. <laughs> but I, I'm honored by the work. I really am because you're more of a you're more of a therapist type, right? We're not we're not exercising demons today. Not Although that would be the next podcast. Maybe we could talk about demons. <laughs> okay. I believe, in, I believe in demons. I just don't. They're things we carry. I had to set my demons free. Maybe we'll set that up as a, a thing. For yeah. Me. Awesome. I didn't, I didn't kill my demons. I just I I quit holding on to them as pets. <laughs> yes we transform and our relationship with them transforms that's right yeah all right, all right. take care thank you so much you bet take care
Keep okay. doing what you're doing. Love you guys. Love you all too. you guys over there. <laughs> Bye-bye. This has been an audio production of punktheology.net. The podcast with a comedic, encouragingly troublesome, rebellious, burlesque, artistry exploring what people really, actually believe. The podcast where we divulge and ask, how does one define meaning, beauty and truth without coming off as a judgmental asshole? And we have a patron page because we are not interested in sponsors from large corporations or for that matter, small ones who are worried about their quote reputation, end quote. Would you consider becoming a patron sinner, saint? A PT co-producer? Stop by patreon.com slash punktheology or again punktheology.net Big thanks to Silent Partner Music and Huma Huma for the copyright-free punk bumps. And Carlton, our so far, only but hugely appreciated, monthly listener co-producer. Why should I join this band of ideological rebels and become a co-producer of punk theology? Because we're the good guys, they are the bad guys, is getting excruciatingly boring and unproductive. Because most people keep yelling at each other. Because millions of people in Western culture are undoubtedly divided and disconnected. Because talking about the elephant in the room has become more like looking for a lost penny under the couch cushion that most don't care to find. That's a huge bitch! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't check it out! Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together.